Oh, well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Morning. Thank you. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs> One, let me just get organised, get sort myself out. So this morning, as Chris already mentioned, we are talking about power. We're back to our series. We've been looking at walking with Jesus, money, sex, and power. And those of you who were with us a couple of months ago when we started all this will remember that Paul told us in our very first talk that these are really kind of hot potatoes, if you like, in society today. Money, sex, and power are all issues that can either bring lots of blessing or can derail us. The gifts that God has given us to use really well for good, but if we use them out of perspective or if we get them wrong, then they can cause all kinds of problems. And so this morning I'm going to be talking for, um, this is the first of two talks about power, Nigel's going to continue next week. But before we begin, can we just pray? Would that be okay? Wonderful Lord, you are the source of all power. We just want to recognize that now. And there's so much that we could say about this topic. And so I just pray for um, your mind this morning. Would you help us as we look through the Bible? I pray for each of us that you would highlight what it is that you want to speak to us specifically. And we want the things that we say and the way that we live to bring glory to you. Amen. So, you know, I've just been really thrilled about this talk. I don't know how this, this series, I don't know how you found it, but one of the things that has just jumped out to me and to Nigel and some of the other leaders here is about the impact that it's having on people's lives. Because we don't come along to church on a Sunday just to hear a talk, be entertained, have a cup of coffee with some friends and sing some great songs and then go home. We're part of a community here and I wanted to say this for a long time, but it's true. We're part of a community where people's lives are changing. And as a result of these talks, people have been making really big decisions. There have been those amongst you who have decided to change the way that you spend your money. You've reordered your priority with the way that you steward. You've thought about how you invest differently. There are others of you who've changed the way that you do relationships. Some of you are actually choosing to invest in marriage now, whereas before you were really thinking about walking away. And there are others of you who have, been, who have made really brave decisions to end relationships that you know are wrong. And this isn't because we've just stood up and said, oh, you should do this or you should do that. But this is because God is speaking. God speaks as we read the word, as we read his, the Bible, and as we tune in, the Holy Spirit highlights things to us. And if we are disciples, if we are followers, followers of Jesus, then we do what we can to put those things into practice. And as I was thinking this week, I just felt that God wanted to say a huge well done. That if you're one of those people who has listened to his nudge over the past few months and has chosen to actually make those difficult decisions, then he just says, thank you, well done, and hooray. And he's cheering you on today. He wants us to live lives that are in line with him, in line with what he says. Not because it's going to make life worse for us, not because it's hard, but because actually that's the best way to live. And so if you are making those changes, then a huge well done. And I just wanted to say, keep on going. Keep on praying in those hard moments. Keep on reading your Bible. Keep on being accountable to your friends. Keep on making really sensible choices, like choosing not to go to your phone or your computer when you feel tempted to go and look at the wrong kind of stuff. Keep on going, because as we make those decisions, as we choose those things, over time, they do get easier. 
our hearts change. And in those moments when you really feel the pressure and you really feel the pain of it, if you call out to God, I know that amongst you people know this to be true, he is there and he will help. And so that was my kind of little introduction. Keep on going because God is cheering us on. He wants us to become more like Jesus and he's going to help us to do that. So this week we're looking at power. And there are a couple of definitions that I found about power. Power is the capacity to get what you want or the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. And in our society, we have power in different ways, don't we? It might be that um, you have a lot of money and that gives you influence and power. We talked about that a month or so ago now. It might be that you have a role or a position at work where you have power or influence over other people. Maybe you're a manager. Maybe you're a teacher with a class of kids that you look after. Maybe you're a team leader. It might be that you have power and authority in your family, that you've got kids who you can direct in a particular way or certainly try to and help them grow. It might be that you're a godparent or a grandparent. We all have power in different places. We all have influence and authority. And so today we're just going to have a look through the Bible about how we use that and what we do with that. And one thing that's interesting on the flip side is it may be that today you think, well, actually, I don't have very much power. I feel quite powerless. And lots of us could relate to those feelings, couldn't we, of feeling powerless? I don't know whether you maybe have had an experience, maybe as a child, where you were forced to do something that you didn't want to do and you didn't feel that you could do anything about the situation. And we don't like to feel like that. We want to be the ones who are calling the shots and making the decisions and having the influence. And sometimes in our situations, it feels that we don't have a lot of power. But I wanted to encourage you. I was just thinking this week, actually, that even though you may not have a job as a boss of a company, even though you may not be in a position where you feel like you have a lot of power, actually, we do all have different spheres of influence where we can exercise this capacity to bring change. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go along. But first of all, I'd love you to grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark, and we're going to look through Mark chapters 8 to 10. There's quite a lot in this, this passage. If you don't have a Bible with you, you haven't got a Bible on your phone, and you'd like one, we've got some just behind the curtain. So why don't you wave your hand in there if you'd like a Bible to look through, and someone near the curtain will be kind enough to go and grab you one. Anyone need a Bible this morning? Yeah, just a, would you be kind enough? Thank you, Jackie. That's so kind. Because... If you're a visual kind of person, it can be really helpful to kind of flip around. And so we're starting in Mark chapter 8. If you're new to the Bible, this is about a quarter of the way from the back in the New Testament. And this is kind of coming towards the end of Jesus' life. And in fact, one more thing to say. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, it may be that today you've come because you just want to find out some more about Jesus. Well, I'm really hoping and pray that today you discover something new about him. It may be that you're actually trying to follow Jesus. And again, I hope and pray that as we read the Bible together, there'll be stuff that jumps out to you and helps you follow him some more. So you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to get something out of this. And I pray that wherever we're at, that God will speak to us. So we're in Mark chapter 8. This is coming to the end of Jesus' life and he knows it. But his friends, his disciples, are quite oblivious to what's going on. They've been with him for three years and they've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. He's been going around healing people, teaching astounding things, getting people back into right relationship with God, doing crazy miracles like walking on water. And the Jewish teachers, the kind of people who were in charge at the time, didn't like this at all. But ordinary people were amazed and they absolutely loved it. 
Jesus was unlike anybody they had ever met before. On one hand, he was actually quite normal. He was a normal guy. But on the other hand, he was like nobody they'd ever met. And you never really knew what was going to be happening next. And in Mark chapter 8, I like to think of it as just kind of another ordinary day for Jesus. If we look at the headlines, Jesus feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves and a couple of fish. Then my, in my Bible, it says the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. He kind of has a discussion with the religious leaders of the day, talking to them about kind of the way that he Sorry, he has a discussion with the religious leaders and his own people about the way to live. Then he heals a blind man. And then, as they're going along, Jesus is chatting to his friends. And in verse 27 of chapter 8, it says that they went on to the villages. On the way, he said to them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now, do you know, I don't know about you, but often the more that we get to know somebody, the less perfect we find them. When you kind of maybe decide to, you're going to start going out with somebody, you just think that, I was going to use that phrase, the sun shines out the bottom, excuse me. But you think that everything they do is amazing and wonderful. And everything they say just kind of really strikes you as fantastic. And then as you get to know them a bit better, then those niggles, those kind of habits that they have, you know, the different things that they say and do can really start to get up your nose a little bit. But the opposite is true for Peter. He's actually been with Jesus for three years. He's seen Jesus hungry. He's seen him tired. He's seen him asking questions. He's seen him as a completely normal guy because that's what he was. And yet also over this time, he's seen that he's different to everybody else. And so Peter's revelation is, you are the Christ or you are the Messiah. This is an incredible revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a good person but he's actually God's solution, God's rescue plan for humanity. He's the person the Jews have been waiting for for centuries, the promised king that God is going to send. And the thing is, for Peter, with this name, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Christ, with this name actually comes a lot of baggage. I suppose it's kind of when we think about the queen. If you think about the queen, get an image in your mind. Maybe you think of her in a a crown or a posh hat or sitting on the throne. We've got an image around a title. And Peter had an image around this title. You are the Messiah. But then as we look on, straight away in verse 31, it says that Jesus began to teach his disciples. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. It says it spoke plainly about this. So he's made it pretty clear. But you notice what happens in verse 32. Peter, who was good friends with Jesus, took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to tell Jesus off. He said it was kind of saying, Jesus, look, you've got this wrong. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to come as the king. You're the one who's going to overthrow the Romans. You're the one who's going to bring change. You're the one who's going to give us victory. But then the tables turn, really, because we'll see as we carry on. And actually, Jesus is the one who says to Peter, no, you've got this wrong. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus goes on to explain his way of using power. He called the crowd to him in verse 34, along with the disciples. He said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. 
And in the message, I love that translation. It's on the bottom of the screen. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. And so the first point that I wanted to remind us about power is that the power that we have comes from God. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we have the resource of incredible power. But we need to remember that it's on loan, that we're stewards working on God's behalf. And so the sphere of influence that he has given us, whether that is in the workplace or in the home, whether that's as a leader in the church, whether that's in your community, whatever that sphere of influence is, it actually comes from God. He's the one who's put us in that place. And, you know, it might be that you don't think that you've got a lot of power as you look at what you'll be doing this next week. But I was reflecting last week that wherever we are, even the words that we use and the attitudes that we have can be really powerful. You know, we've had that incredible hot weather, haven't we, this week? How did you cope with it? (laughs) Some people kind of pulling faces, other people, yay, I love the sun. I noticed the different places that I went this week, how different people responded. So there were some places where I went, and it was when it was that roasting hot day, and we were kind of slightly wilting. And some people go, oh, this heat. Oh, I can't bear it. Oh, oh, I just want to go and lie in a cold bath. Oh, I can't work. I can't do this. I can't do that. And yet I went into a shop and there was one lady and she said, don't you just love this? It's amazing to see the sunshine. Isn't it fantastic? And I noticed how the way that the two different people responded really affected how I felt. If somebody talks to you about the heat and how you feel wilting and how awful it is, then it does kind of bring you down. Whereas other people who talk about the beauty of the sunshine and how amazing it is, and yet aren't we so blessed to have this weather, then that really can lift you up. You know, a friend of ours used to say, in conversations, wherever you go, you need to look for fires. and You need to carry two buckets. One bucket has petrol, the other bucket has water. And the key is to work out what you need to throw on that fire. So if it's a really good fire, if something wonderful is happening, then of course you throw the petrol on and that makes it, makes it burn even more. So you, that's where we bring blessing. And if there's something really negative going on, well, that's where we, if we throw petrol on that, that's terrible, isn't it? Because it's going to get worse and worse. But instead we can throw water on that and put those fires out. So we have incredible influence even with the words that we speak. And one of the questions is, so how are we working well as stewards on God's behalf? How are we using the power that he's given us in the different places that he's put us? Now let's carry on looking through Mark. Oh dear Peter, he's heard from Jesus that his is the way of the cross. But as we've seen, Peter's put his own filter on this. He's got a really big expectation about what the Messiah is going to do. The story continues. An incredible thing happens in chapter 9. It's a story called the Transfiguration. So Jesus takes his three best mates up a mountain, and there in front of them, he is changed. He becomes glorious and amazing and wonderful to look at. This is an incredible thing. And then can someone just look in verse 7? It says a cloud appeared. God spoke from heaven. What did God say? This is my own son, whom I love. Listen to him. Now, I found that really interesting in this context. I've heard this story before. I've read it a number of times. But actually, God is saying, yay, this is my boy. This is who Jesus is. He's affirming him. But how interesting when Peter, just before, hasn't really been listening. He's not heard Jesus say, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. This is the way that I lead. 
And God is saying from heaven, this is my son, listen to him. Pay attention to what he's saying. Make sure you listen to what he's saying to you. And I suppose that's another little challenge for us today. Are we really, really tuning into what God is saying to us? Or are we putting our filter on things as Peter seemed to do? I know for me that sometimes I can be a bit hesitant in coming towards God. If I've got a question that I want an answer to, and I think I know what he's trying to say, then sometimes I can just find lots of other things to distract me rather than actually going and asking him what he really is trying to say to me. And yet I know when I get there that of course the words he's going to say to me are for the best and are going to bring blessing and bring life. So my encouragement today is if you're one of those people who just in this season of life is slightly nervous about asking God about your situation, about an answer to a problem because you're afraid what he's going to say, you're afraid what he's going to ask you to do, I just encourage you that God is the same. He says to you, you're my son, you're my daughter and I love you. And the words that he wants to speak to you are life and are blessing. So the guys come down from the mountain. Jesus carries on with normal life. He heals a boy who couldn't speak. And then Jesus has another go. He predicts his death a second time. So they're walking through again with his friends. And as we look in verse 31 of chapter 9. He says again, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. He's making it quite plain what's going to happen. But in verse 32, it says actually the disciples didn't understand, but they didn't want to ask. And sometimes when God speaks to us, we don't understand the first time what he's actually saying. But let's not be like the disciples. Why don't we just go and ask again, God, what is it that you're really saying to me? Now, they were afraid to do that. And instead, they started to have an argument. And in verse 33, it tells us what they're arguing about. Jesus has just told his best friends that he is going to die, that this is coming soon. And actually, their response is, well, so who's the greatest? Who's better? Am I more powerful than you? Have I got more of, the, more of Jesus' ear than you have? I wonder if I can do healings and miracles and things better than you can. That's what they're asking about. And if I were Jesus, I was thinking as I read this, I'd be saying, look, don't you get this? But instead, he gets a visual aid. He gets a child, puts them in front of them and says, come on, guys. The way that I lead, the way that I exercise my power is to look after the poor and the vulnerable, those who are weak and those who are in need. And so the second thing is that power comes from God, but any power that we do have is actually for the benefit of others. If we use our power to make ourselves top, to put ourselves first, then that's when it gets really dangerous. And many of you will have heard Duncan speak several months ago now. From, uh, we came from Southampton. And he challenged us about the power of our investments, about where we're putting our money, about how we're using the influence and the power we have to help other people. Do we know where we're buying our goods from? Are we thinking about maybe choosing fair trade things? Have we thought about investing our money and does our bank have an ethical policy? There are lots of ways that we can use our power and our influence to benefit other people. Or we can choose to put ourselves first. And I thought, well, why do we do that? And ultimately, I think for me, the reasons why I try and put myself first is because I don't actually trust God. If I really, really trusted him, then I wouldn't need to fight for position. 
I wouldn't need to make sure that I've got everything covered. I wouldn't need to cover all the bases, so just in case this happened. But I'd be able to just respond to him and do what he says and trust that he has got the best results at the end. And so instead of putting ourselves first, we're invited to be different. We're invited to surrender and to trust that God will cover us and protect us. And maybe you're in that position now, in a position where you could make some choices that just make sure that you're really safe and secure and you're all right. Or you can make a choice to actually respond to what God is saying to you and trust that he is going to cover your back. In Psalm 3, it says, you're my shield. And I've just kind of been given a copy of the Passion Translation of the Bible, and a, which is just another way of kind of um, translating the Bible into modern language. And what I loved about it, in verse, chapter, Psalm 3, verse 3, it says, you've become my shield. And in Hebrew, this can be translated, you, O Lord, are my taker. The implication is that God shields us by taking us into himself. Isn't that an amazing picture? Wherever you're feeling weak and vulnerable, wherever you feel in need, just pause in this moment and picture yourself being taken into God. He's the one who surrounds you and covers you and protects you. So Jesus then carries on moving on as we go into chapter 10. He answers some tricky questions from the religious leaders. He has another child that uses the vigil aid. He does some more teaching, and then again, he predicts that he's going to die in chapter 10, verse 32. And again, the disciples just really, really don't get it. He's very plain. He tells them what's going to happen. And we know from the later in the book, he's not relishing this. He's not looking forward to going to the cross. Just imagine this. He's an ordinary guy like you and me. He knows he's going to die. It's not going to be easy. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be publicly humiliated. He's going to be in tremendous pain, carrying an enormous cross. He's going to have nails beaten into his hands and his feet. The pain is going to be excruciating, and he knows. This isn't going to be a surprise. He knows this is happening. And yet he chooses to do it for us. And in this moment, his friends have an opportunity I would hope, I don't know, but I would hope that some of them might go and say, Jesus, how can we help you? How can we support you? What can we do about this? But actually, I wonder whether my response might be like theirs. They said, Jesus, yeah, we know you're the Messiah. Yeah, we know you've got to do this, and we know you're going to win, because that is the truth, and he did win. And they look beyond the pain of the moment into the glory of the future, and then the question comes, doesn't it? The question in... Verse 37, you're going to be there in glory. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left. Even in that moment when Jesus is just probably almost at the end of himself, there they are saying, and what about me? Where do I fit in this? What about me? Once again, rather than banging their heads together, which might have been some of our natural reaction, he actually takes it as an opportunity to say, guys, I want you to understand how power works. I have power. I'm choosing to lay my life down because that's the way of the kingdom. In chapter 10, verse 43, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. We know that power and glory belong to God. 
Glory is who he is. Glory is his beauty and his majesty and his wonder and his character. And we can't do anything to add to that. That's just who he is. But the power he gives us, the influence that we have to exercise, the whole purpose and aim of that is to give glory to him. It's basically the way that we choose to use the influence we have can reflect back on him so that other people see who he is. And one of the ways we do that is in our places of influence to act as servants, to be servant leaders. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, had this great phrase. He talked about kind of things that you do, jobs that you do around church or things that you do in your workplace or in your family. And particularly thinking about church, he said, you know, whether you clean the toilets or whether you preach the sermon, the pay is the same. The point is that we're all servants. We all have different skills and different roles and different things to do at different times. But no one person is greater than any other. Because the point of all of this is that all of the glory goes to God. It's all about him. And in particular seasons, you might be given a role like this, where you can talk and you have a public platform. And in other seasons, you may have a role where nobody gets to see you or even knows your name. And it really doesn't matter. Because what it's all about is how we're serving him. And when we talk to leaders and we do leadership training and stuff here at church, you know, sometimes we had a lady who came to us and she said, I want to come to your church because I want to be a leader. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And tell me some more. She said, well, the church that I go to, I'm not allowed to be a leader and I really want to lead. And so I thought I could come here and be a leader. And we just had to explain, okay, well, that's great. So what that means is you need to get on a team. You probably need to serve the coffee. You could greet people at the door. We need to see your character and we need to see how you're serving because that's what leaders do. The leaders are the ones who get here early, the ones who stay here late. The leaders are the ones who pick up the rubbish in the car park because they're the ones who care enough and see that and want to make the place a welcoming place. Being a leader doesn't look like sitting on a top chair and telling people what to do. Being a leader is just doing the jobs that other people don't want to do and never asking anybody to do something that you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself. Jesus' model of leadership is different. So just to recap then, the three points about power were that power comes from God, that it's to be used for the benefit of others, and that as we use it, our aim is to bring glory to him. And you know, that's part of the reason why we're having worship at the end this morning, because I was really keen that as we, you, we, we listen to what the Bible said, and then we can choose to reflect. Wherever you are, however you're feeling today, we can choose whether or not we're going to give glory to him as we sing the songs of worship together. But just before we go on to do that, there was one other thing that I noticed as I read this chunk of the Bible. You know, sometimes it's really good to focus in on a couple of verses, but sometimes it's really good to read a whole book or to read a chunk of the Bible because you get to see a big picture. And what I noticed was a weaving going on in Jesus' life. Three times he predicts his death and he talks about how leaders lead. He talks about how people use power and influence. And yet, interspersed through that, he exercises incredible spiritual power, supernatural power. He heals two blind men. He feeds those 4,000 people we mentioned. He walks on water. He's completely transfigured. 
He heals a, a boy who can't speak. All these different things are happening as a normal and regular and an ordinary part of his life. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is a huge challenge. Because we're called to do the same. We're called to be people who lay our lives down. We're called to be people who reflect glory to him. And to be people who do the stuff. Who pray to the sick and see them get healed. Who bring change in, in powerful and dramatic ways wherever we are. And as a person and as a church, that's something that we really want to be pushing into, into our next season. Working out how to do these two things hand in hand. How to live those lives of truth and integrity that surrender to Jesus. And how to live out in his power, in practical and supernatural ways. I think that's probably enough from me. Perhaps I could invite the band back. Should we stand together? And I'm just going to pray. Father, as we worship today, we just choose to come to you again. So thank you for those places that you've given us of influence and power. Thank you for families that we can lead in and workplaces we can influence and friends that we can share truth with. Thank you that you've given us incredible power to use for other people's benefit. And thank you that it's all about you. And for me and for our church, we want to say, Lord, we want to see more of your power. And we want to exercise it within your right boundaries. So please will you come meet us as we worship. As we give you glory, as we recognize who you are. Come and speak and encourage and help us to give you the best of ourselves.